This Torah class is brought to you by TorahAnytime.com. Okay, this week's parasha is a parasha by Yeshev. There is so much to learn. And this week's parasha about bringing up children um, and about not ever giving up hope. So, Yaakov Avina wanted quiet, right? And the minute you want quiet in life, what happens? It's not so quiet. So, by Yeshev, Yaakov, Beres Begoyah, Amrit Kanan, and it says that Yisrael Ahavis Yosef Mikobanov, Yisrael loved Yosef from all his children. Ki Benzikunim Hulo, because he was a Benzikunim, he was born late in his life. Also, like Senus Pasim, he made him a special, a special jacket. So, first lesson in Chinuch. Pasig Dalin. Vayiru Echav Ki Oisa Avavihem. The brothers realized that Yosef was loved more than them, that their father loved him. Mikol Echa from all his brothers. What did that cause? By Yisnu also. Was that true it, that he loved Yosef more because he made him that coat? Bi Yisro, Yosef, Mikol Monov. It's impossible. Not because of the coat. So, the question is, you're asking a very good question, Ruth, and something I posed in seminary this week. And I'm scared to say the answer because until I see it, I have no right to say it. So the question is as follows. And um, I don't want to, I'm, I'm not looking to trigger anything, Kapshon, anybody, but with the discussion we had in seminary, some girls get a little bit sensitive to it, so I have to be a little bit careful how I present it. But the discussion was as follows. Yaakov came from a relationship with Yitzchak, his father, we learned last week, right? Um, that, that he wasn't even called in the dream, actually two weeks ago, that Yitzhak wasn't even called Yaakov's father because he never called him Bani. So, so and he, and it says, it says in that parsha that he loved Esau, but Yehav, Yitzhak is Esau, the Rivka Ahav is, as, as Yaakov. So Yaakov grew up in a house where there was favoritism, where his father loved Esau more than him. So Yaakov knew what it felt like, right? So how could he do the same thing? That's a question. I know that question is asked. You grew up, you weren't your father's favorite son, so you know what it feels like, so you for sure should have made sure that you didn't give a child more than any other children. And I, I, it, you throw all of his no of. It's not like, it's not like you could say, the plus is very clearly that he loved Yosef more than all his children. So how could he fall into the same trap that he himself lived with? I haven't found the terrorists. I know there are many truths, but I didn't have time. I know that there's many, many truths. And I asked the girls to find truths, but I didn't come back to school today. So I had a thought, and until I find it, I, I cannot say that this is a shot. It's something that I, I never understood. I mean, I do understand now, but I did not understand. And it's very, very scary. And Chatz Vashel, this has nothing to do with anybody in this room. And it doesn't mean you're doomed. And it doesn't mean anything. Just surveys and percentages. So I saw a few years ago that they did a survey on divorce in America. And they said that families, regular families, not divorced parents, I think the divorce rate in America at that point was like 53%. So one out of every two marriages doesn't make it. We're talking about secular, not Jewish. We're talking about secular. From broken, from divorced parents, the percentage went up to close to 80%. So the question is, what are you talking about? If a kid is growing up in a home where his two parents are not getting along, 
So he's saying the whole time, I'm going to make sure this doesn't happen to me. Right? So I'm going to work very hard that this should not happen to me. I'm living somewhere and I see my father yelling at my mother and my mother and my mother's yelling at my father. When I get married, I'm going to make sure that the one thing we don't do is yell at each other, right? That should be... So just the opposite. Is marriage in a normal family, divorce from a, normal, from a regular family, divorce is 53%. Marriage from a divorced family should be 20% because those kids know what, how horrible it is to live in such a situation. So they're surely not going to make the same mistakes that their parents make. But what do we know? That most of the time we end up becoming our parents and making exactly the same mistakes. Why? Why don't we learn from the environment that we're in so the percentage should be going down, the percentage should not be going up, it should be going down. And the answer is that the environment, so I spoke about a long time ago, the environment you grow up in is the environment you know, and even if it's totally dysfunctional, in your mind it's, it becomes... Not functional, but it becomes normal. Because that's what you're used to. Used to is normal. There's nothing that's, there's no normal in the world. What does normal mean? How, how do you translate the word normal? Right? You, you don't. You don't. You can't translate the word normal. So pretty much what you become used to, right? What you become used to, so that's your normal. So, a child that's brought up in a home where everyone's yelling at each other, it becomes normal to them that that's what a family looks like. And I can tell you some horrendous stories where people, women who were abused never said anything. And when they finally came to me, I said, like, why didn't you say anything? And they were like, well, that's how my father treated my mother. So I just thought that was normal until my friends started saying, what, what's going on here? This is not normal, right? I thought that was normal. So, so parents from families that from broken homes, from divorced homes, we don't teach marriage. You really can't teach marriage. Marriage is something that you learn by watching how your parents act. So, so what I was telling the girls is that if you come from such a home, instead of figuring that, well, I'm just going to go get married, and because I didn't like the world that I was living in, I'm going to make it a change. You won't be able to make it a change because you're you're used to that. So you have to do work way before you get married, and you have to do work to change your normal and to learn uh, you could have a relationship without yelling at each other and and just because your parents don't talk to each other and don't show emotions to each other you have to learn how to Judy Bond is very good at that teaching right she's a she's a, a dating coach what's a dating coach why do I need a dating coach and the answer is a dating coach is teaching girls who, who have a hard time communicating and a hard time talking and a hard time expressing themselves she said, I don't want you to get married and then start, and, and then find out it's too late. So she coaches and she teaches them how to, how to discuss their emotions. Because people who come from a home where there are no emotions, they think that that's marriage. That's normal. A normal parent doesn't show their child emotion because they don't see any emotion. So then they end up becoming a parent and not showing their children emotion. Now, I can't say that's what happened here. But it's just very interesting that Yaakov came from a home where one child was loved more than another whatever that means on that level and over here the same thing happens I can't say that's because of what I'm saying but Lemaisa we see that that's what happened and 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 all the brothers hated him hated him very much what is the what so I didn't I didn't see the I, I, I don't know I didn't I didn't get a chance to look at it Rashi doesn't say 
Rashi doesn't say, but I do know that there are many Mephoshim that ask this question. Now the Chidah says, the Chidah says totally something else. The Chidah on the, on the, again, I'm not saying that's the Pshat. I, I don't understand how, how, what happened here with Yaakov, but the Chidah says, I'll tell you what happened. It says the following. Kihine Yaakov Avinu, Allah HaShalom, Hayyigilgul Adam Arishon. Yaakov Avinu was a Gilgul, he came back for Adam Arishon. Now, Adam Arishan did three Averas. He did Gilei Arayas, he did Shvichas Damim, and he did Abay Dezara. How did he do Gilei Arayas? Right? Adultery. He didn't really do adultery. But, he was separated from his wife for 130 years. And he had to fix what happened during those 130 years. And therefore he came back as Yaakov. And Yosef HaTzadik HaYenitzutz Me'odem Arishon. Yosef HaTzadik was also had a DNA Gilgal from Adam Arishon. Kishem Shu Gilgal Adam Arishon and Yosef was a Nitzutz of Adam Arishon therefore we can't all have him in That's why he loved him more than his other children because they had a very big connection. They were both Gilgulim of, of Adam. And he says he came back to fix it says that Yaakov Avinu was never Tomei right? he went, he was Kaddish, he was very Kaddish all the time and therefore he was here to fix the, the Avera that Adam did right, but he got very nervous why did he get nervous? unbelievable chidah why did he get nervous? because he came back to fix adultery right, which was something that happened between a man and a wife that was illegal what, what did he do? He, now, Yaakov was supposed to fix what Adam Marisha did, right? And now, Yaakov ends up marrying two sisters. And the Torah says, you're not allowed to marry two sisters. So Yaakov Avinu was thinking, because he was fooled with Leah, wasn't his idea, he wanted to marry Rachel, but he was fooled with Leah, and he ended up marrying Rachel and Leah, he said, oh my goodness, I came here to fix the Gilead Arias that Adam did, and now I did Gilead Arias, I married two sisters. Marrying two sisters is, a, is, a, is Gilead Arias. Can't marry two sisters. So he figured he messed up the whole Gilgal. But when he had Yosef, what happened? So he thought that he messed up the whole thing. Then, what happened? Yosef gets born. And Yosef was a nephesh of Adam Arishon. So at that point, Yaakov Avinu realized if Yosef came also from Yaakov, and he came from the marriage with Rachel, which he thought might be Gilead Arias, there's no way from an illegal marriage... Adam would come back to the world because the only reason Adam came back to the world is to fix it. So when Yosef was born from Rachel, until Rachel had a child, Yaakov even said, sure, she's not having a child because they didn't have Eira, right? But once she had a child, then it was Yosef, and Yosef was, was Adam. So he said, oh, the way I I didn't do anything wrong. So that's why he loves him from all the other sons because until then he thought that he had done a big Avera. How did he marry two sisters? Because Yaakov Avinu didn't keep the Torah outside of Eretz Yisrael. And the two, they were, he married them outside of Eretz Yisrael. But the minute he came back into Eretz Yisrael, Taki, he wasn't married to two sisters because Rachel died on the way back into Eretz Yisrael. And Rachel knew that, by the way, just to show you who Rachel Imenu was. Rachel Imenu knew that when she did the switch, she knew that there's no way Yaakov could be married to both of them in Israel. So when she did the switch for Leah, she not only gave up her husband, but she gave up her life. She knew the minute they would cross into Eretz Yisrael, she would die. Because in Israel, he could not have two wives and her sisters. 
So she gave up a lot for her sister. But anyway, that's why the Yisrael Avas Yosef. That's the reason that, um, and it also says that Yosef was born, he was born with a bris milo. So he saw right away, like Moshe Rabbeinu. So he saw that he was very, 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 very Kaddish. Okay. So that's the reason he gives. I, I, I Hashem, maybe if I get a chance, I'll, I'll send an email, Erev Shabbos, with, the, with more answers. Whoever has Chastor Shalom emails. Or maybe we'll send a text. What? Yeah, I don't know if I'm going to be able to call everybody on the list, but we'll see what happens. Okay. Oh, there's a lot of there are a lot of girls that don't have emails. There's a lot of notions to come only in Ornava. Only in Ornava. I have email. Okay. You're still okay. You're still okay. Don't worry about it. I know you don't have Facebook, so I'm not worried about you. Okay. All right. When you have a, the only wall you have, the only wall you have is the customer of you. So don't worry about it. You have nothing to worry about. Alright, so now, his brothers were jealous, the brothers were jealous, but other and Yaakov Avinu realized that Yosef is not getting along with his brothers. In fact, he even tried, Yosef said, okay, my other, the other six don't like me, the, the shift they caught, but the ones from the Shvachais, right, from Bill and Zilpa, they're not so accepted, they're gonna like me. No, nobody liked him. Nobody liked him. So Yaakov Avinu came up with a master plan. So his brothers don't like him because he told these dreams, and in these dreams he said that everyone's bowing down to him. Of course, you all know the rabbi, famous rabbi joke that Yaakov was that, that when Yosef had a dream, he dreamt eleven stars, the sun and the moon bowed down to him. The eleven stars were the Shvatim, and the sun and the moon were Yaakov and Leah, right? So Chazal asked, we know there was another one, Dina. So how come there wasn't a star for Dina bowing down to him, right? She was born to Leah. So the answer is that we know that Dina had a baby called Osnas. Who married Osnas? Yosef. Yosef. Who was having the dreams? Yosef. So that means that Dina was Yosef's what? Mother-in-law. Mother-in-law. Even Yosef knew that even in a dream, a son-in-law would never bow down to a mother-in-law. I mean, a mother-in-law would never bow down to a son-in-law. So he knew for sure that in his dream there's not going to be a 12 star because she's not bowing. No, no mother-in-law is bowing down to a son-in-law. Okay, that's a, that's, a, that's a rabbi joke. Anyway, so his father sends him to Shechem to meet the brothers and he sends him with a message. And he tells Yosef, go there and ask them shalom if they're at peace. Go ask them how they're doing. So... Right now they're very jealous of you and they, they, they think that you're making yourself into a big king and you're a big shot and you think so. Go and just ask them, so guys, how you doing? He says, if he's going to go and he's going to just ask them how they're doing, they're going to say, you know what? He's not such a bad guy. He cares about us. Okay. So, go check out. And just tell them that that's what you're looking. Okay. Here, this is something that I, I wanted to say, but I didn't have time to say at the Greta Convention. And I think this is so huge. So the Pasuk says, by ish, and a man found him. It wasn't a man, it was a Malach, the Malach Gabriel. He and he was lost in the field. And the man asked, Lame was saying, what do you want? So there's two very essential questions on this Pasuk. One, you don't say someone 
found something until someone lost something. So you don't say, the man found and behold, he was lost. It should say, he was lost and he found them. First you get lost, then you got found. You don't get found and then you get lost. And this passage is in the wrong order. Instead of saying, the man found him, behold, he was lost, it should say, behold, he was lost and a man found him. So we need, we need to understand that. And second of all, if somebody's lost, you don't ask them what do you want. You ask them where you're going. What kind of question is, matavakesh, what do you want? If someone's lost, you don't ask, what do you want? You say, hi, how are you? You look lost. Where are you going? Oh, 2223 Avenue J? Good, I know where that is. I'll show you. What's this matavakesh? What do you want? So the answer is as follows. The answer is, if you wait until someone's lost to find them, it's too late. What this Malach did is he met Yosef and he found him, means he met him, and he talked to him, and he said, what's going on, where are you from? And by talking to him, he found out that Yosef was lost. Behine, behold, he didn't know, the mouth didn't know that Yosef was lost. Behine, behold, after he found him and he spoke to him, he said, you don't know where you're going. When, when you deal with children, your children or a teacher or a parent or a grandparent, whatever it is, if you're going to wait until they're off the derrick to find out that they're lost, it's too late. People... <laughs> Don't just go off the derrick. They don't wake up one morning and say, I want to be Michal Shabbos. I'm going to use my cell phone on Shabbos. That took two years, two and a half years, three years of a kid slowly slipping away and having questions and either not asking them or scared to ask them or not getting the answers and beginning to question God and beginning to question Judaism. And it takes a, it's a long process to a regular Jewish girl from a religious family makes a decision to use her cell phone on Shabbos. What's the problem? It's that we don't talk to our kids and our kids are not communicating with us. So by the time I know there's something wrong, it's so wrong, it's too late. And now I'm in trouble. I said, I said it today, I said it yesterday in seminary. You know, so that women do screening. Right? You go, you take screening, you take these x-rays, when you hit a certain age, you take these x-rays. Why don't you just wait until something has to show them is wrong? Right? But every doctor makes you go at 40 years old, you gotta take these x-rays. Why? Because if there is some cell that's, that's not doing well, they wanna see that before it comes a lump. Once it becomes a lump, it's a whole situation. It's has to chemo and surgery and a bunch of stuff. So they don't wanna wait for that point. So they do this screening way before. So if there's even a suffix of something, that the, that, that the screening sees, they can get it way before. But if you're going to wait for the symptom to grow enough that you can see it, it's stage three instead of stage one. Stage three is a lot harder than stage one. So it's the same thing in the spiritual world. If you're going to wait to find out at stage four, this kid smoking on Shabbos or being Mechal of Shabbos or doing some other really bad stuff, you're going to wait to stage four we're in trouble. We're in stage three. You need to find that out before it develops. Everything in the spiritual world, physical world is mirrored. Everything is mirrored. So just like in medicine, 
we have all these screenings to find out way before you can see it or feel it. Way before that you need a machine that can see things that we can't see. Then maybe Chachom is the shadow. Let's find out what the shadow is. Way before anything to prevent it. It's the same thing in the spiritual world. You can't wait till the kid's acting out. Too late. So much intervention after that. Prevention. So the Malach is saying over here, he found him. He talked to him. After talking to him, he said, oh my gosh, you're lost. Not that he waited to see that Yosef Atadik was going about around the block 22 times and his, and his GPS kept saying, you know, recalculating. <laughs> that's not, that's not what he was waiting for. He, he saw this man, he walked over to him and said, how are you doing? What's going on? Uh, oh, you don't know where you want, where you're going? Right? With after the Vayim So you have to talk to your children when they're very, very young. And you have to talk to them very, very much. So that when they start to go off a little bit, you got it. Way before they're way off the mark. And it's the same thing with a husband and a wife. A marriage doesn't crumble in a second unless someone did something drastic. But the word that I always hear when I do Shalom bias is, it's a terrible word. Because you know why? When someone tells me this, I know that it could have been prevented in the Chama. What's the word? Well, we just started to drift away from each other. You know what drift means? Drift means you're floating in the water and you're slowly drifting away. Which means that it didn't happen in one second that the two of them fell out of love with each other. They drifted apart. It's used all the time. We drifted apart, you know, it's 10 years, 12 years, 20 years, 30, whatever it is. We drifted apart. When someone says you drifted apart, that means that the two of you would have been talking to each other. When the drift began a little bit, we could have put you back together again. But when you, when you didn't talk to each other, you just kept drifting and drifting and drifting. Now all of a sudden we're coming to a Shalom Bias teacher because you're sleeping in two separate bedrooms and you have nothing to do with each other and your kids see all this and the whole house is so dysfunctional and you're both on two ends. You don't even look at each other. You go into the kitchen, one walks in and one walks out. You're this far apart. Now you're like, Rabbi, help! It's like, how am I going to put this back together again? But had you been talking when you drifted apart a little bit, then you could have put it back together. The two of you, you could have put it back. But what happened? You waited until stage four. So you're way apart already. So now it's very hard to put together. So the Malach, who is Malach Gabriel, said, you got to find them first before you even know that they're lost. You gotta find them, you gotta talk, you gotta communicate. If you do that, all of a sudden you're gonna find out about a lot of things about the other person that you didn't know. And now that I found you, said the Malach Gabriel, not where you're going. I know where you're going, he's a Malach. You're going to see your brothers. What do you want from your brothers? Matavakesh. What do you want from them? What's this meeting really all about? So Yosef said, he answered the Malach. And he said, Vayomer, as Achai Anoichi Mevakesh, I want to be one of the brothers. I want to belong. I want to be part of the brotherhood. That's what he told the Malach. Higidin Ali Ephohem Rayim, tell me where they're, where they're shepherding. Okay. This Pasuk, I spoke about today, Miriam was there probably for at least 20 minutes, the next Pasuk. Vayiru also Merachok. And they saw their brother from afar. Ubiterem, listen to how this Pusik writes this, it's so sad. Ubiterem, 
Yikrav Alehem, before he could even get near them, by Yisnaklu Oso Lahamiso. They already planned to kill him. What's the Pasik saying over here? If they would have waited for Yosef to come close to them, and they would have said, What are you doing here? He would have said, I came to see if you're okay and the sheep is okay and everything's okay, and there would have been no selling of Yosef, and there would be no Holocaust, and there would be no Asare Ruge Malchus, and there would have been no Spanish Inquisition, because it says all the trouble that we've ever had all came from the selling of Yosef. And they would have said, How nice that is if you came to check us out to see how we're doing. But they never gave him a chance. Says the next passing. They said, but Yoru Ishal Achiv, because they were a brotherhood, he ne balach Oh, he's back. Probably with another dream on how great he is. Let us take care of this guy. And the next passing they say, let's sell him, let's kill him, put him in a bar. And then, this is what they say, and after we kill him, then we'll see what happens to his dreams. So they were so sure, they passed it on him, they were so sure that the only thing this kid knew how to do was tell dreams and make fun of us. They never gave him a chance to say really why he came. Because they said, oh, dreamer, you're coming to tell us another dream. If they would have let him talk and they would have given him a chance to say why he came, this whole thing wouldn't have happened. And this is what happens when you look at somebody from afar. When you judge them by the way they look and the way they dress. And you don't ask them. There's a very famous story. Rabbi, Rabbi Ronnie Greenwald um, told me many years ago. So he had a school called MAG in Muncie. And um, he hired this new teacher. She was supposed to be a superstar. And the kids were like my high school. They were rough kids, you know, coming from the street and whatever. And um, so this teacher comes in the first day. There's a girl sitting there with her button open. So the teacher says, excuse me, you can't sit in my class that way. Close your button. So the kid closed her button. Next morning, kid comes back to school, the girl, her button's open. Teacher says, excuse me, did I tell you yesterday? Close your button. Oh, sure. She closed her button. Next day, she does the same thing. She goes on for a week. Teacher says, close the button. She closes it. She doesn't fight with her. She closes it. Next day, she comes with her button. Anyway, as, on, she started on Monday. Friday, she goes to Rabbi Greenwald. Rabbi Greenwald, me or her? She's a machutzah. Every day, I tell her to close the button. She closes it. Next day, she comes with the button open. She's a machutzah. She's challenging me. So it's either me or her. So Rabbi Greenwald looks at her. And he says, well, first of all, whatever you're doing doesn't seem to be working. <laughs> That's number one. That's number one. So I think by this point, you should realize that your approach to this girl is miracle from far away. You're not reaching her. She's number one. Number two, isn't it strange? You tell her to close the button, she does, the next morning she comes with it open. So maybe there's something going on at home. Something's going on in this kid's life because it's very easy for her to keep her button closed. So by opening her button, she maybe she wants your attention. She knows my button's open, so you can say close the button. My button's closed, she's gonna talk to me. So did you pull her aside and ask her, hello? You're a normal kid. I mean, why are you doing this? If you didn't close the button, I understand. So you're rebelling, but you're closing the button. Why are you doing this? She says, you are 100% right. I agree with you. And she says, I knew it. He goes, no, but you don't understand. It's either her or you, it's you. And he fired her. 
said, you're right. You don't get kids. You don't get kids. If a kid is doing this, the kid is screaming out trying to tell you something. You don't get kids. Why don't you talk to her, right? But you pass in, like the brothers, that this is a mechutzif. And she's doing this out of chutzpah. You never gave her a chance to tell you why she's doing it. That's what happens when people look at other people, merachok, from far away. And the brothers, they already stamped on Yosef. You are a dreamer, a big shot. You think you're better than us. So how could he be coming here to tell us anything good? So by Yisnaklu Hamiso, from far away, they already made plans to kill him. They never gave him a chance to get close enough to tell him, I'm coming here to make, to make peace. They never gave him that chance. And he felt, of course, especially after this, being sold, he felt very disconnected from his brothers. Okay. So we know they throw him into the, they try to kill him. They throw him into a pit with snakes and scorpions. The snakes and scorpions don't bite him because it's tzaddik and they take him out and they sell him down to Mitzrayim. Now we have to understand Yosef's psychology here that his brothers sold him down to Mitzrayim. He's in the worst, lowest, he's in the village in Manhattan. He's like in the worst, <laughs> lowest place on earth. Mitzrayim was known for Abu Dizar and Zima, the most immoral. They did every sin that you can't even imagine. And that's where they sold Yosef, who was a tzaddik, who was the site of Kedusha, the foundation of Kedusha. That's where he ended up going. And who bought him? Potiphar bought him because he was pretty. So Potiphar bought him for himself because Rashi says that Potiphar was gay. So he bought Yosef for himself. You have to understand where Yosef is the biggest tzaddik. His brother sold him and he ends up being bought for this. And it says it was a nace, and, and, and whatever, Potiphar became a stris, whatever it is, and it was, he lost his interest in Yosef. But his wife didn't. And we just have to understand the mindset, because because our generation very much, just on my way here, I was listening to some people talk on the radio, it was like so silly. You know, our generation blames everybody, and I actually got up, and I, I didn't blame everybody, I just said it's happening on our watch. What's going on is happening on our watch, and we're going to have to answer the Gosh Baruch Hu. At the end of the day, it's our watch that our kids are falling off. Uh, so we have to make sure that, that that doesn't happen. But at the end of the day, Yosef had a, if anybody, whatever story that a kid tells me, and, and they have, and some of them they really got hurt, right? And that's why they went off to Dara. It's extremely dysfunctional and abusive to be sold by your brothers and to be thrown into a pit to die, to be bitten by snakes and scorpions. It's not a good thing. When your own brothers do that, okay? And then to be sold down to Mitzrayim and some guy, Potifa, buys you for these reasons, right? This is very dysfunctional and very traumatic, right? He would be doing DPT and a lot of other stuff. He lived in our generation. I'm not making a joke. This is very traumatic. This is crazy traumatic, right? And he went through all this trauma. And now, Potifa's wife shows up. And the Chidot says, who's Yosef? Adam. Who's Potifa's wife? The Nachash. The Nachash. And this is the war of the worlds. If the Nachash, Potipa's wife, who is the Satan, who, who of course is the most beautiful girl in the world because the Satan is the one who brings all these bad things to you and if he's going to create a woman, he's going to create a woman, right? So she was one very beautiful woman and Yosef was one very beautiful man because he was a guild of Adam, right? So this is a very tough situation and as the Chidot says, had Yosef sinned, the world would have been destroyed. Totally destroyed. The world would have been over because he is the foundation of Kedusha. And the Satan did not want the Gilgal of Adam to be fixed. 
So he was going to take him down and do a terrible Avera. And if we look, if we look what happened, right? So it says the following. He was doing very well. And he gave Yosef everything. Then it says, and Rashi says, because Yosef was very pretty, and we spoke about last week that he came from the womb of a girl of Dina, and therefore he was on, he was a little bit like that. And the Chidot says, so she looked at Yosef and she bothered him every day and she said, lay with me. And the Pasuk says, and Yosef refused. And on the word, and when, when we read the Torah, so there's a thing called truck, anyone who has a bar mitzvah boy or, bar, or a brother that's bar mitzvah, heard it all the time, over and over and over, that they sing the words. It's a musical notes on top of the Chumash, that when the, the Malkaira on Shabbos reads it, so it, it has a musical note to it. Now, everything, every one of these musical notes has a name. There's many, many names. And what the musical note that's on the word Vayimoyen is called the Shalsheles. And if you look in the Chumash, you'll see that it looks like a corkscrew. And the reason it looks like a corkscrew, and the reason it's called the Shalsheles, is that when that's on top of a word, you say that letter like three times. So on the word Vayimoyen, when the Balkari was going to read it to Shabbos, it's going to be, and the word stops. It's a, he's going to go by Yemar, and sounds like a siren, right? This, this triple cork, right, is not often in the Torah, this musical note. So, what's going on over here? Why is this musical note on the word, and he refused? A shalsheles in English means a chain. What does a chain do? <laughs> Chain connects two things. So this word Vayimoein is connected to another word Vayimoein. So we have to look in this week's parsha for another word Vayimoein. And there is one other Vayimoein in this week's parsha. And what is that Vayimoein? When they came to Yaakov Avinu with the jacket, which excited Pasim, full of blood. So he said, Torah, Torah, Yosef. But Yikra Yaakov Samosev, he ripped his clothing, he put sack on him, and all the children came with Nachmai to, to comfort him. And he refused to be comforted. Now, everyone here knows that God forbid someone dies, so we go to be Menachem Oval. And what do you usually say when you go to be Menachem Oval? Or you say, listen, you're in a better place. You know, we're in the miserable place, but you're in a good place. That usually doesn't work, but. You try to make the person feel good, right? So, part of being a Jew is that when you lose somebody, you sit shiva, and you let people come and comfort you. So Yaakov Avinu, who's definitely a bigger tzaddik than any of us, how could it be that when his kids came to sit shiva, he said, get out of here! I refuse! Don't give me no hamakom! Don't tell me he's in a better place! I refuse! Get out of here! I am not going to be comforted. It's a halakha that you have to sit shiva and let people come and comfort you. How could Yaakov Avinu make a statement in the Torah by Yimayim I refuse to be comforted. You know, you can't refuse to be comforted. It's a mitzvah. He didn't believe that he was really dead. He said, he ripped his clothing, right? So Yikri Yaakov also, so he did, he did that part of being an oval, right? Of being a mourner. Then he took sack, and then it says... Um, and his father cried 
So it seems to be that he did believe it. He, he did rip his clothing when an oval do, did, and he cried. So what are you crying if you don't believe it? Why are you ripping your clothing? So the answer is, the answer is, at the end of the day, Yaakov Avinu, there was no body. They came with a coat, and it was full of blood, but there was no body. By the way, just to show you how it never ended, in the old days, Pesach was the most scary yontif. When it came Pesach, the Jews were in terror, because the guy used to take blood, right, kill, kill a non-Jewish kid, fill up a bottle of blood, and say that the Jews need the blood for their masters. And they were called blood libels. Hundreds of thousands of Jews were murdered because of blood libels. And those blood libels always happened on Pesach, the famous story with the Goylem from Prague, that's why he created the Goylem, right? It's brought down in Svarim. Why? Why so many Jews being killed on blood libels? And the terrorists at the Svarim say, because they took the Easy, the goat, the, the, the jacket, and they dipped it in blood. And because they dipped it in blood, every Pesach, all these blood libels came, because the brothers did this to, to fool their father, that they took this jacket and they dipped it in blood. So that blood was for all the, all the people that died because of this, that what they did. So we, we know that from what happened to Yosef and the selling of Yosef, a lot, a lot of tragedies happened. The Yaakov said, they brought me a jacket. They said he was ripped up to pieces. Torah of Yosef. He said it actually. So I, so I have to sit shiva. And I have to rip my clothing because they're telling me that he's dead. But if I allow them to comfort me, that means that I accept that he's dead. I don't accept that he's dead. Why? I don't have a body. I put so much into this child. 17 years I taught him. 17 years I learned with him. You don't bring me a body, then I don't believe he's dead. I refuse to give up on my child. All the way in Mitzrayim, far, far, far away, Yosef HaTzadik knew that. Because he knew his father. And he knew that my father, I don't know what they're telling him up there in Israel, I'm not there. But they're trying to tell my father that I'm dead, he will not give up until he sees my body. And he's not going to see my body because I'm alive. So I know that my father did not give up on me. By Yemayin Yosef, only because he saw Sajrashi, the kuno shalavim. What does that mean? He saw the picture of his father. What does that mean? He saw, he knew that there is someone in this world that even though I'm lost, I'm sold to a gay man for Tifa. His wife doesn't stop bothering me. My brother sold me. I'm in a land that no one speaks my language. That no one cares about me. I'm alone. But my father does not give up on me, then I can't give up on me. If a person has someone in their life that refuses to give up, it gives them the power never to give up. Only at the point where somebody feels there's no one in this world that, that didn't give up on me, everybody gave up on me, then you give up on yourself. But if you know, have a father or a mother or a teacher or a mentor, or there's someone out there that no matter how bad I do, I smoke on Shabbos, I do drugs, I do everything bad, but my mother 
still thinks that one day I'm going to be a good boy. They're guaranteed one day he'll be a good boy. But the kid that's smoking and drugging and doing all these averas, and his parents are saying, forget about it. He's lost. He'll never come back. He's not my child anymore. He will never come back. When there's no one in the world, nobody that believes in you, then you will not believe in you. If everybody thinks you're bad, and there's no one that thinks you're good, you will think you're bad. If everyone thinks you're good, then you will think you're good. And in Chinuch, your child needs to know that no matter what, and I tell this, and I'm a tough guy, I'm not the kind of guy where I tell everybody, if your kid wants to, you know, smoke, buy him the cigarettes. Oh no, that is not Rabbi Wallerstein. Break the cigarettes, because every one of them can cause cancer. That's not where I come from, but I tell every single person, but your kid needs to know no matter what they do, you love them. You don't love what they're doing. But you love them, and that door, the moment you want to come back, that door is open, because everybody has that moment. And every kid has that moment, and every person has that moment. And if the door is closed, when the kid turns around and says, I want to come home, and he puts his hand on that knob, and he wants to change his whole life, and the knob is locked, and the moment is gone, he takes his hand off the knob, and he falls right back to where he started. But when he comes to that door, the door is open, and he doesn't even have to put his hand on the knob, he will walk through. Every single kid, no matter what they're going through, has a moment when they want to come back. And the question is, what does the door look like? At that moment. And if the parents shut the door, you lost them. You'll never see them again. But if the door is open, you'll come through that door. <coughs> Everyone needs somebody that's by your mind, that refuses to give up on them. So no matter what a kid's doing, you don't have to be happy about it. You don't have to help them do what's wrong. They need to know, we know one day you're coming back. We do not give up hope on you. And even if you give up hope on you, we don't. And if we don't give hope on you, that child inside will know that my parents didn't give up hope on me. I will not give hope on myself. And it's in school, and it's in teaching. I see little kids and older kids. If the, if the kid's failing, but the teacher keeps saying, we can do it, we can do it, well, I'm going to sit with you, come to my house, I'm going to tutor you, we're going to go over it, you can do it, you're smart, you can do it. Guess what? The kid's going to become smart and he's going to do it. But if you're going to say, he's going to say, listen, you don't know your work. I'm sorry, you're not studying. You know, go home and get it signed. Forget it. Forget it. That kid's going to keep going down, down, down. A parent just told me after my speech, he said, I have to tell you a story that happened with me. My kid comes home. She had three tests, a Navi test, a Fumish test, a Lacha test. She comes home with a 30, a 30, and a, and a 40. And she comes home, and they're all like, all big red, failing, sign, you know, parent signature. Like, the parents can't figure out where to sign on the paper. The right parent signature, right? So she comes and she says, Tati, please don't be angry at me. But, but I got my test back today, three of them. And the father says, okay, what'd you get? 30. One on your Navi? Yeah, my Navi. 30 on my Chumash. She's like, yeah. What'd you get on your Halacha? 40. He says, amazing! She says, why? He says, you got a hundred! She says, what are you talking about? I didn't get a hundred. Yeah! 30, 30, 40! You got a hundred! He said, Shayfla, don't worry about it. He said, Rabbi Austin, I promise you, the next Chumash test, she got an 86. She saw, big deal, okay, my father, he believes in me. He may believe that I got a hundred. You know what? If he may believe I got a hundred, I'm going to show him I'm going to get a real hundred. It's a whole different psychology. 
And that's what Yosef saw, the Kuno Shoavim. He went to the window, he's about to do the Avera. You saw his reflection. He looked exactly like his father, and he said, My father is 200 miles, 2,000 miles. I don't know how far Egypt is from, from Israel. Wherever he is, 500 miles away, my dad did not give up on me, and I'm going to give, I'm going to do this on Beira. He didn't give up on me, and I'm going to give up on him. I don't know. If I know someone didn't give up on me by doing what I'm about to do, I'm giving up on him, I'm not going to do that. And that's what saved him. That's what saved him. And, and I told the girls today, I said, I have the biggest brush. It, it's much, it, it runs much deeper than that. Because we need to know. Let, let, let me just tell you why I sort of flipped out. Didn't flip out, but why I said what I said by the Greater Convention. So you understand. Because I don't usually talk the way I spoke. I spoke very, 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 very strong. This past Saturday night, I spoke to a group of parents who, the reason I spoke to them was because they were taking their kids out of yeshiva and sending them to a different program, right? To a different school that totally has nothing to do with Judaism. Where it's very, the kids are very mixed. You're not allowed to have a mezuzah on the door. You're not allowed to have a mezuzah on the door. You're not allowed to talk about, they talk Hebrew, it's a charter school. They talk Hebrew, you're not allowed to mention God's name in a charter school. You'll get fired if you're a teacher if you mention God's name. Atheistic. But they speak Hebrew. And there's a lot of non-Jews in charter school. So it's, it's free. It's free. So it's a public school that's not speaking Hebrew. So the Yitzhah came up with a great idea. The public school, we're not going to send them to. But a public school that speaks Hebrew, sort of is Jewish. So never, all these parents want to take the kids out of yeshiva. It's tuition. costs money. And, and, and charter school is free. So they're going to take them to this place where you're not allowed to mention God's name. We're going to make all these kids into atheists. So I was asked to talk to Mati Shabbos. I sat down. That's who I'm talking to. Parents who want to make their kids into atheists. Okay. That was at 8 o'clock. At 10 o'clock... They probably did it because of the money situation. That's why. I'm telling you why. I know that, and we know why. why should, I can't send to Yeshiva. I can go for free. Why should I send to Yeshiva? They're both Hebrew. They're both teaching Hebrew. Fine. Fine. The charter is Muslims and charter. I don't want to talk about it online. Whatever. It's mixed. It's mixed. Okay. And okay, that was my eight o'clock speech. Fine. My ten o'clock speech was in Borough Park to a group, to couples for eight time who don't have children for ten years, fourteen years, twelve years. A room like this, full, full of couples who have no children. For a long amount of time, I was to go give them chizik. That was my second speech, Matzishavus. Monday, I knew that I was going up to Camp Simcha in the mountains, where they were having a retreat for women whose children have cancer. Much too many women were at that retreat. So here I am, charter school, no children. Children with cancer, I'm not in such a great place. Okay? And I come to the convention, and someone makes a statement in public, that Baruch Hashem, overall, we're doing great. <laughs> and I'm sitting there, I'm like, charter school, kids in psych wards. I mean, where are we doing great? Shalom bias. you can't get to a therapist today, they're all booked solid. You can't get to a rabbi because they're all booksellers and shalom bias, right? People are struggling with parnassah, right? Marriages are struggling. People are not having children. Kids with cancer. Kids off the derech. Kids being mechal Shabbos. 
But overall, everything's great. So I'm sitting there and I'm like, no. Somebody has to get up and say that not everything is great. And it's on our watch. We're the ones responsible. It's our generation. And, and whatever, if you hear the speech, I went into a whole message, whatever. Why am I telling you this? Because everyone in this room needs to know. And this is something that I know. People say, so So how do you go on? So, so, so give up. I mean, uh, between those three speeches, I mean, like, hello. And the answer is that I know that at the window, at every single one of your rooms, at every single Jewish house, is a dikunay shalaviv. There's a picture of our father. Who is our father? Avinu Malkenu, God. Avinu Shabbat Shemayim. And I know that at that window, that we have a God, that no matter how bad we are, assimilation, cell phones on Shabbos, boys and girls, pornography, the internet, all the bad stuff that we do. God refuses to be comforted. He refuses to give up on this nation. No matter what we do, no matter how bad we are, no matter as long as we're alive and there's no body and it's not the end of the Jewish nation, God says, I refuse to be comforted. This is not okay. I do not give up on my nation. And I know that. And therefore, I refuse to give up. Because my father refuses to give up. And every one of us in this room, and every girl that goes out and goes out and goes out, and she's not so young anymore, and she's willing to give up, and every person who's going through psychological and emotional problems, don't give up. Because even if your parents gave up on you, and the rest of the world gave up on you, the Kunei Shalavim did not. Your father, HaKadosh Baruch Hu, did not give up on you. Because if he did, you would not be alive. If he gives you life, that means he knows and he believes that at a certain point, you will come back to him. And that's why the Mishnah Pekah says that he waits for every person to do tshuva till their last breath. Which means in our language, he refuses as long as you're alive, he will not give up on you. So you need to know that you have the power to refuse the Yet Sahara and to refuse all the bad things in life. Because there's someone out there, maybe not your parents, and maybe not your teachers, and maybe not your friends, but there's someone out there and he just happens to be the creator of the world that refuses to give up on you. By your mind, Yaakov with his nachem gave the strength to by your mind, Yosef. And because Yosef was able to refuse Potiphar's wife and stay kadosh, he became the king of Mitzrayim and ended up saving the world. Because he knew that even though his brothers sold him, and he was bought by Potiphar, and he was in the lowest dungeon, worst place in the world, he knew I have a tati, I have a daddy, that didn't give up on me, I will not give up on me. And we all have such a tati. And it's called, he's called God. And he's called the Bilam Al-Kano. And as long as you know, no matter what's going on in your life, as long as you know that he did not give up on you, that gives you the strength that you cannot give up on me. How could I give up on me if God doesn't give up on me? 
Because if I give up on me and he does it, that means I gave up on him. And I'm not willing to give up on God. That's an unbelievable lesson. The Shalshelis this week, if you go to Shul, the Shalshelis between the two by your minds. So my bracha to everybody here is that you should really feel, you should really feel that not to ever give up on yourself. Never give up on yourself because really, if God gave up on you, you, you it's over. So if he's not willing to give up on you, why are you willing to give up on you? He's saying, I know, and I'll leave the door open. Will you put your hand on that knob? The door's going to be open, says Akkadj Baruch Hu. He's there to be macabre, anybody's chuva. No matter what you did wrong, some girls, they did a big aver and they're like, all right, God will never forgive me. That's the Yetzirah talking. That's not our religion. God says, I forgive anything. But come back. Come back to chuva. The door's open. And we as parents, the biggest kayak that we can have is two things. One, that our children don't just say, well, I never gave up on my child. You need to tell him that. You need to tell your child, I will never give up on you, no matter what you do. I may not be, I don't like what you do, but I love you. And that will never change. So when you're ready, and you may not be ready till you're 40, I don't know when you're going to be ready. When you're ready, mommy and tati are there. Oh, they give such a strength to a kid, you have no idea. Instead of, you're lost, look what you did, you shamed the family, have a good day, we don't have anything to do with you, you're the shame of the, so that, so that, you said you don't believe me anymore. So guess what, you don't believe me, I don't believe in me, goodbye. The kid's finished. And the second thing that a person needs to know is don't wait until the disease showed itself. You gotta catch it way before. And he found him. And when he spoke to him, he found out that he was lost in the field. Don't wait till it's too late. Whether it's a marriage or a teacher to a child or a parent to a child, don't wait until it's too late. Nothing happens in one second. Even diseases don't happen in one second. Accidents happen in one second. But everything takes its time. If you catch it early, we all know if you catch it early, you got a good shot. If you're gonna wait till it's too late, you got a tough shot. It's much harder. So my brother to everybody is that we should all have the kayak and the strength to always see Dukune Shal Aviv, the picture of our father in all our windows, and in Bezrat Hashem we should see him in the window. You've just experienced another Torah class brought to you by TorahAnytime.com.